It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. A Scottish football podcast that isn't obsessed with just two teams, niche nonsense, or surprisingly brilliant. You decide. The Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. The cult Scottish football podcast now adapted into a hit TV show. Search the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast on your chosen podcast player now. Can you do me a couple of ones in a chance, Bear? Fag machine takes one, don't Yeah, yeah. Hey, whoa, 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 don't do that. No point doing that. Give him the tenner back, right? You give him the fiver and the fifty, right? Give him that back. So you take that and you just give him the free ones, right? Give him the free ones, that's it. Now you give him 30, right? You give him the ten bob back and you owe him, if I'm right, 22 pence. That's wrong, isn't it? Back by popular demand, Simon Day and Friends Lockdown Show 2. Saturday, July the 4th, 8.30pm. Go to biletto.co.uk. Search Simon Day and Friends. Tickets, only £5. Show will be shown on Facebook. And welcome to the Chills. The Chills now with extra added football. Sorry, all you magpie and flower lovers there, but we're going to keep talking about those sort of things. But football is back. It's back. We've seen a whole stack of games. I've been surprised. I've really enjoyed myself. I've loved this last week to find out what this all means for us and for our futures and our sanity. Mr. Sane Man himself, Mr. Andy Saunders. How are you, Andy? I'm all right. How are you? It's very early in the morning, isn't it? 
It is. It is. We're, we're doing this at uh, quarter to five in the morning because we're both such early birds. Um, it's not true, but it is quite early. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's half past eight. Um, it's half past eight, yeah, which, which is, for us is very, very early. And it's a beautiful day, isn't it? It's going to be an absolute scorcher yeah. today. Listen, did you, um, did you gorge on the football over the last week or were you selective? I, I gorged selectively. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of look. I, I tried to watch even the rubbish games and found, you know what, rubbish games are still rubbish, and I don't care. There's nothing on it for us. Um, it, I watched the games that had a direct um, influence over our positions. Mm-hmm. I, I, I look. I watched Aston Villa Sheffield United because it was the first game. But yeah. that did not stop me turning over and watching something else because it was just poor. Um, and then when you saw the Man City-Arsenal game, which, let's face it, the Man City-Arsenal game is the game that made you realise how much we've missed football. And not yeah. just for the football, but for the whole David Luiz you know, debacle. I mean, extraordinary. A man comes on as substitute. Gives away two goals and then gets sent off. I mean, it was classic. To be fair, both Arsenal games, because the one against Brighton as well, when Mope took the goalkeeper out and then they all gave him grief and then he scored at the end and then there was a complete tear-up at the end. I mean, that was great. Both Arsenal games have been full of of incident. Trust me, I have Arsenal games marked down when to watch them because it's just disaster. I love it. It's fantastic. And I, I felt sorry for Mope in so many ways. I actually think he didn't do too much wrong there. Um, it, it didn't do anything wrong. No, He's exactly. entitled to go for that ball. I mean, he, all right, he was a little bit late on it. But I think, you know, you want your striker to have a little bit of presence uh, yeah. in the box. And you want, you want the striker to let the goalkeeper know he's there. I mean, ordinarily, that would have been a foul, potentially a yellow card. The goalkeeper would have got up and remonstrated with him. He just fell awkwardly. It was 99 times out of 100, he wouldn't have fallen in that fashion. He did. And and the, the reaction of Guendouzi and, and some of the other players was completely out of order. I grabbed him by the throat at the end and nothing's happened the FA haven't charged him it's you know I don't know I just found it you know annoyingly inconsistent the way they approach these things but there you go. I don't want, don't want to bang on about Arsenal but both their games have been have been full of incident and uh, I'm a bit like you I've, I've watched quite a lot of the games um, some of them have been really boring there was some statistic about the percentage of games that are nil nil at half time because of the pace of the game are you watching it with the crowd noise or without ah oh, right okay this is an interesting point um Wherever possible, I've actually gone without crowd noise, and I'll tell you for why. Yeah. Um, In this world where we're being told things are the new normal, I refuse to accept the new normal. It's still abnormal. And... I even though I think, and it depends who the sound mixer is you get on games because some of them are not very good. Well, Uh, the ones on Sky are pretty good. Yes. The BBC don't know what they're doing at all. <laughs> I mean, the BBC's terrible. Um, and and BT is all right, but not fantastic. It's ambient rather than crowd noise. The BBC's all over the place. Yeah. Um, but I think Sky actually do it pretty well. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. But, but yeah, my, my, my point is I don't want to be lulled into a false sense of security. Watching football this way is not normal so Mm. it's just a reminder i'll change probably in in the next few games and see what it's like but at the moment i just want my football 
to have that semblance of reality. And the reality is it's a pretty empty stadium with very few people in there. And that's how football is for, for now. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, but there's been so many interesting things. I mean, you talk about decisions. I mean, the, the goal that wasn't for, for Sheffield United was extraordinary when the keeper yeah. takes it. I mean, how much further do you need to be in the net? Well, uh, it was extraordinary that they only relied on the technology rather than their eyes because presumably the, 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 the linesman um, saw it. Um, but because the because the technology didn't work or wasn't switched on or whatever the, the excuse they gave was, it couldn't count, even though they could see it. I, f- I found that extraordinary because there's no way that you didn't see that it had crossed the line. Um, but because it hadn't buzzed, they were in the mindset that it can't be a goal. So there has to be some sort of level of manual override, doesn't there? Well, yeah, but do you not think this is the ultimate problem with technology? What happens? It's like sat-nav in your car. Half the time now, wherever you go, if you use your sat-nav for going to certain places, you don't bother memorising the route or learning the, 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 the places you have to turn. You just yeah. let technology do it and you just don't bother. And maybe this is the same with officials. I've thought this in cricket that actually, because umpires now know that n- not necessarily they're decision is final they allow certain decisions to get made that perhaps they would have been more forthright with but because they know technology will get it right yeah sure they don't want to get it wrong but at the same time they'll have you know the soft call as to whether something is out or not the on on field decision and then it goes to technology so actually we relax the way we are as as judges of what is right, what is wrong, what is in, what is out. I mean, uh, cricket's an interesting one because obviously the Hawkeye technology uh, and the camera angles and everything have made decision-making a lot easier um, through technology and a lot more accurate. But cricket, there are less variables in cricket than there are in football. So you know when the ball... Is, if, it's, for example, it's an LBW decision or it's a... Um, you know, a catch or something like that, then the, the variables are less than they are in football. It's a lot more complicated, I think. Well, I think the, the excuse on the Sheffield United goal was one of the seven cameras was obscured. Um, and, you know, it was a... It was like, haven't you thought about this? It was... Honestly, I just... I found it astonishing. But there you go. You know, yeah. it is what it is. An interesting... A little interesting anomaly that hopefully they'll fix. Yeah, I, I agree. And... Is there anything you've seen so far you would like to stay the same about how the games are run? Um, about how they're run? Yeah, about how... I don't it, like the drinks breaks. It's I nonsense. I, I, I think nonsense. it is nonsense. I mean, I, I have to say, I was, you know, my, my, my son's wife <laughs> made an interesting point about... Gary Neville apparently went, I don't know why we're having a drinks break. It's pouring down with rain. And she said, he doesn't understand the basics of... Of hydration, yeah, he thinks no. that because it's raining, that makes a difference. Um, no, I just think I, I don't think that you know you've got forty-five minutes of football per half for a reason. They shouldn't be broken up into into quarters by by a drinks break. It doesn't make any sense to me. So I'd like to get rid of that. Um, I like the. Um, I don't know. I just like the the kind of ambiance of it at the moment. I like I like the taking the knee. I'm not, I don't think that's something that we should we should be doing uh, uh, a long time. But it's a it's a powerful message. 
in terms of how the games are run? No, I think that's the only thing is, is like, let's, let's bin off the drinks breaks. They're not needed. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the only thing is that the fitness coaches have said that actually because of the length of time that players have been out for. I know, I know, I know what it is. But, yeah. you know, it's, 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 you know, long term, we need to bin that off. Yeah, I mean, it needs to go for a few weeks. I get it. Fine. But the, the other side of that is we then have a messy clock. Why is it that we just don't use a simple method like stopping the clock as soon as the drinks break happens and then start it again when the ball gets kicked? Yeah, I, don't, I, I don't understand the running down the clock and keeping it going. Makes no sense. Um, yeah. Okay, the, the, there is something that I think is really quite a, a, a new scenario that's happened in football because the players have been told to get on with things as much as possible, like we know there's no spitting and coughing and all those sort of things. The other thing is we are seeing, because one of the facts from German football is that the ball has ended up in play much longer Mm. in the games. And as we've seen with these games, how many trainers come onto the pitch now? It's only if there's a proper injury. So players have stopped feigning injury or, or whatever. They go down, go, ah, uh, roll about, and then get up again. Well, there's, there's all, that, that's very interesting, isn't it? And, and yeah. the other thing that kind of relates to that is the feigning of injuries. Because, because without a gallery to play to, without an audience to play to, that diving, theatrical trying to, you know, trying to con the referee or other players thing, there doesn't seem to be as much of that. No, there doesn't. Um, okay, it's only the first round of games, uh, but because there's a directive and the clubs have said to their players, look, just get up. If you're not injured, obviously you, you must just get up because we don't want interaction. We don't want people coming on. Um, it's, it's meant that we get a lot more football in a half. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd love to know what, what the difference is now. I think they've done the, the stats in Germany, but it, that's something I would love to see stay, that we just end up playing more football in 90 minutes. Yep, absolutely. So, so yeah, other than that, um, how's your week been? Because, of course, you, you had the, the whole uh, Love Record Stores campaign. How did that go this weekend? Yeah, it went brilliantly. So we had, as I mentioned last week, uh, 24 hours of Love Record Stores in aid of... Uh, independent record stores in the UK, all 130 stores took part. Um, we created 83 new and reissued releases uh, that were available on the day to music fans that they could buy online. Uh, we shipped 50,000 records to record stores, and uh, our survey that we did afterwards showed that the vast majority of record stores sold those 50,000 records or sold all their allocation of those 50,000 records within an hour. Um, And that resulted in over a million pounds of extra revenue just on that one day for independent record stores. Uh, So, yeah, it was hugely successful. Um, So we're very pleased. Oh, fantastic. There's nothing like it when a a campaign goes right. Um, Yeah, and I think it was a really good good, um, spirit. Uh, on the day and and, and people realising how important having those stores is. And, you know, as I say, I'm also in, uh, involved in the campaign for Save Our Venues, which is grassroots music venues. Um, and, and we're at the point now that if we don't get significant support from government in the form of financial packages, whether they're loans or whether they're grants, um, and we're also calling for a VAT cut, if we don't get those, then by the end of September, early October, 90% of grassroots music venues may disappear forever. 
They may go because they're going to close because they cannot afford during this lockdown period to to continue to sustain themselves. So we're at a critical point for things like record shops and music venues. And for a lot of people, that doesn't even come across their radar. They don't engage with record shops or go to live shows. But for an awful lot of people, it does. And it is part, both of those things are part of the cultural fabric of our society. And we can talk about the uh, the need to to look at the the core basics education health welfare state absolutely 100% they have to take a priority but if we take away the cultural fabric of our society we're left with a pretty grim place so i would uh, i would urge everybody to to think and and about whether they want a cultural uh, element to our society to still be there at the end of this and if so what they can do to help well i think there's also that that whole magic feeling I, I spent all my younger years going into record shops i was surrounded by wonderful independent record stores as a kid and you go in because this shop over there would have more punk new wave that shop over there would have more funk and rare groove stuff and you know this shop would have amazing reggae imports and you, you could spend most of your days as a kid going around and I love that feeling of flicking through things going, oh, my God, I have no idea what this is, but I love the cover. And how many times I've bought records because the cover was great. And usually, if a cover's great, the music matches it. There's very. I, few- I'm the same with books. I do yeah. that with books. They say never judge a book by its cover. I always do. do I it. always do. Whenever I'm buying books for holidays or whatever, and I'm walking around Waterstones or, you know, one of the other, or even, you know, preferably an independent bookshop, you know, I'm always thinking, that's a nice cover. Um, and, I, and I'll buy that because of the cover. And covers are hugely important. And that, that's kind of one of the things, you know, the other thing that, that I'm doing at the moment, my, my documentary about music photography, we have a whole... Uh, episode in our series about album covers and about how how important they are and about the visual aesthetics and the the um the the magic of album covers and and that 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 idea of what you put on the cover whether it's what you put on the cover of a magazine or a book or a, or, or or an album is is hugely important for how people react emotionally to it yeah and i think that's where you can never get the same experience online because i don't know there's something magical about holding it even if it's a cd in your actual hands and looking at the cover of course records themselves i mean when you had that vast space the 12 inches of of cover make a real real difference they do and and i'm fully aware that vinyl and and it is mainly vinyl those fifty thousand units uh copies that that i mentioned were all vinyl and i realized that's niche i realized that it's specialist and not everybody has or collects or still has vinyl um but but a lot of people do and a lot of people love it and as i say it's just part of the jigsaw puzzle that is our cultural life and football is part of that cultural life as well football music theater film comedy all the other photography everything is art is is everything is part of that cultural jigsaw and we need to protect it otherwise we won't have any left at the end of this no, it, it's absolutely true. And what what's amazed me through this whole period is how much great music's come out. I mean, we keep getting asked about any recommendation. So I've, I've just got... Friday was just such an immense day for music. Um, and I'm just going to mention, because people always ask what, what we listen to. Um, and for me, Friday was incredible, because you had Bob Dylan's Rough and Rowdy Ways came out. 
I'm a late convert to Bob Dylan, but that album is extraordinarily good. No Name, who's a fantastic jazz hip hopper, um, she's American, released, um, dropped a song called Song 33. She's incredible, well worth checking out. My friends Doves released Carousels, which was absolutely a wonderful sort of um, reminder of what everyone's missed for nine years. And for me, the great album, and I don't know if you know this band, a band called Salt, S-A-U-L-T. They they released this record, which is so perfect for the times, called Untitled, inverted commas, Black Is. It's a mix of soul, funk, hip-hop, R&B, and Michael Kiwanuka's on it too. So Amazing. I like like Michael Kiwanuka. Oh, it's it's fantastic. If you haven't heard that Salt album, I would recommend everyone go out and buy it. This is an album for now, and it's come Mm. out of now. It's come from nowhere, and it's born out of everything that's been going on. So, well, we we should, um, you know... You didn't ask me what I'm listening to. I was just going to say, we should actually find out what you're listening to. What are you listening to, Andy? Well, I'm listening to, to all sorts of things, but I'm actually going to mention a, uh, one of the albums that we, we reissued as part of uh, Love Record Stores Day on Saturday, which is uh, John Grant's Queen of Denmark, uh, which oh, is an album, an album yeah. that came out in 2010 on the Bella Union label. Uh, John Grant was in a band called The Czars uh, back in the day, um, and uh, he... Uh, you know, he went solo. The album's a, a sort of collaboration between him and Midlake, uh, who are an amazing band. Um, and it's just an incredible album. We, we reissued it on, on vinyl, um, and, and it's out there. And I highly recommend it. It's lyrically brilliant and just, uh, just a fine, fine record. So that's John Grant, Queen of Denmark, uh, if you fancy listening to that. Uh, he's he's one of those people. He's got one of those voices that just take, he transports you. I, I think he's one of the the finest interpreters of songs that there is in the world. It, mm. Really, really wonderful. And yeah, if you don't know that album, please go and check it out because it is utterly fantastic. There was something else with, with John Grant recently as well. That again, as part of the Save Our Venues campaign, we got a call from one of the larger venues, a venue called the Sage in Gateshead, which is. Uh, you know what a part of the the sort of the bigger venue circuit and they said look we really want to help our grass grassroots venues we have this concert that we recorded which is john grant with the royal northern Sinfonia orchestra uh which we did um which you can find on youtube if you just google uh john grant royal northern Sinfonia, it's him with an orchestra doing doing his thing it's quite incredible when we stream that out for a small fee and donations and raise quite a lot of money so you know if you do like the queen of denmark album i suggest the next step is going and finding that on youtube because it's brilliant yeah it is i know that as well um i'm a fan you you don't have to convert me i'm with you so do what andy says because he's <laughs> right <laughs> um, and don't forget the um the, the you know the spotify playlist that we're putting together on a weekly basis didn't do one this week because i've been really busy i will i will do one uh, i'll do one later this week and and these are, i don't know if you don't if you know about them yet but i on twitter asked the uh, chelsea twitter uh, fan base out there if they would help me compile some playlists so uh, essentially what you do is you just send me your suggestion uh, for a track for the genre that we picked that week so that so far we've done Motown we've done Punk and New Wave we've done Heavy Metal Rock we've done uh, Northern Soul um, these are all on Spotify if you just search uh, Chelsea Northern Soul or Chelsea Motown 
um, by Velocity PR because that's my name on uh, on Spotify. You'll find all those playlists, uh, and they're amazing. They're you know up, we did a reggae one as well. So they're they're you know up to seven hours of music that's been curated by fellow Chelsea fans, and uh, they're amazing, aren't they? I think they're really yeah. really good. No, they, they are. Um, I'm putting my hand in uh, up to say, can you do disco next? Yeah, I mean, discos. Well, the thing is, Kerry, that, that it's not up to me. You know, I'm, no, gonna, I'm, I'm going to. Uh, I do a little poll every week with three choices. So I will definitely put disco as one of those choices for you. But it's up to it's up to the people to decide whether they want disco. But I just, will put it. I will for you. I will put it as one of the choices. Great, because disco seems to have got a lot of disparaging remarks. <laughs> It's well, great. I like disco. I do know. as well. I mean, I used to. Great uh, thing about disco, of course, it's great outsider music. People, people think think of it as very mainstream, but it's not. It was born out of, you know, uh, the black community, the gay community, feeling underrepresented. You know, in a period of rock domination, that, that's where disco came from. It came from underground club culture. It's a very, it's a very cool genre. Absolutely, it's culturally as important as any other genre. I'd agree Absolutely. with you. I was so confused as a teenager because I was going between. We we had this complex of venues where I grew up in Richmond, and there was this indie little venue called Snoopy's, and uh, right next door, you once those gigs had finished um, with all sorts of people um, playing there, um, you'd move next door to Brolly's, which was like this suave sort of uh, disco and. You kind of had to have a bag with different clothes to go from being a punk to being allowed into the club because they wouldn't let young punks go in. It was very bizarre. So I was, I was, I was strange uh, times. Yeah, really. Well, you know, they still carry on being strange. But yeah. um, um, the, the other thing I was going to mention, going back to football, um, about uh, you know the taking of the knee, the Black Lives Matter on the back of shirts. Um, you know, there was that awful incident of the plane flying over the Etihad had going white lives matter um which which was immediately you know shot down in flight well not literally shot down although perhaps it should have been um but uh, there was a, a, a and i do mean that in a, as a joke uh, a lot of people took to the airwaves to to um say about their disapproval of the matter burnley did their players did yeah, um, ben me was very impressive wasn't he he oh. came out afterwards and, and spoke very articulately and, and in a measured way about it and expressed his disappointment about the, the whole thing and do you not think at this moment in time there's an awful lot of footballers who have shown they are more than our thoughts about how footballers are that have really stood up for things that they believe in that they believe in for their teammates for the world that have come out and done incredible things you know I- don't want to big him up too much, but bloody hell, Marcus Rashford, definite hero. Well, I think you should hero. big him up. Yeah, exactly. I think you should. I'm only I saying that I don't from know why Man you wouldn't U. want to big him up more, no, because he's, he's done an incredible job. I mean, oh. I think that his campaign to uh, to ensure that uh, children from disadvantaged backgrounds have access to, to, to food during the summer holidays is, is incredible and amazing. The way he's done it in such a calm and measured and um, thoughtful way, I think is a credit to him and his family. Yeah, and I was being flippant because he's man you. Of course, um, I think he... What he did was... I love the fact that he basically took on the government, got knocked back, but it didn't stop him. You know, he just carried on. As you said, very thoughtful, um, very measured, and look what happened. No, incredible. And, And, yeah, hats off to him and... 
all these players that are standing up and saying things. What was interesting about the game Man City Burnley afterwards, Graham Sooner said something very interesting. Now, he's, he's sort of Marmite for a lot of people. I actually like Sooners. But he, he was saying, look, for me, as a 62-year-old man, I need to know what I can do because I've seen incidents where I've had somebody say something racist and I know I should have picked them up on it and I let it go. Um, and I feel ashamed of that. Um, but I need to know how to change certain things, um, how I can help because this whole period has definitely changed me and my thinking. And Micah Richards, he asked Micah Richards what he should do. And Micah Richards said, just understand and say things like you're saying that helps and I, th- I thought that was that was quite incredible and it made me think back um to we did a, a live podcast with a player who we we won't talk about here but um he made a, a, a racist remark and and it really did offend us at the time and it left us flummoxed and we didn't say anything at the time Andy if you remember and I actually felt ashamed that I didn't um I don't think I would ever let it ever happen again like that, but it did provoke something within me. And and maybe that incident has changed the way I would stand up, but also what's going on now, you you know, it, it was a weird, weird moment in life, wasn't it, Andy? Yeah, we won't mention that former player because they, they're not here to defend themselves. Um, and it, I don't think it would be appropriate to do so, but it was a shocking moment. Um, we'd done a live show, uh, as part of the podcast and a ticketed show and we'd invited this former player along and he made a very racist comment about Didier Drogba um, in a flippant, he thought, humorous way but was actually quite shocking, I thought, and, and upsetting. And you're right, we didn't do anything. I, didn't, I don't think we knew how to react. We should have metaphorically walked off the pitch but we didn't, and, and, and it was fairly shameful that we didn't, and we've discussed it a lot and thought about it a lot since, and we had a, a good friend of ours who was black in the audience, and they left. They were so upset that they left, and I had to call that person afterwards and apologise on behalf of, of us, and they were very nice about it, and, and, um, but, but also very upset that, you know, that, that somebody they'd idolised had, had come out with this, this stuff, and... I think you're right. It, it certainly made me think about how, how I would react to things in um, in future, and I wouldn't stand for it again. I certainly wouldn't stand for it again. I, I think I think it was so shocking and unexpected that I'm not making excuses, but we didn't know how to deal with it, and we just sort of carried on. And we shouldn't have done really. We should have taken that person to task and and done something about it. But as you say, you know, we're in we're in this this time now where a lot of focus is on these issues, and it is making people think about their reactions to things and about how they would deal with things and and what they think about things. Some people are massively triggered about it, and I think they need to have a word with themselves and ask themselves why they're massively triggered by it. Uh, and other people are, are are reacting in the right way, which is to say. Nobody, nobody's saying white lives don't matter. Everybody is saying that all lives do matter. They're just asking people to focus on black lives matter just for this moment, just to think about what the iniquities and the, the inequalities are in society. And, and that shouldn't trigger people. It should make people take a step back and reflect um, and, 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 and really confront those issues and, and their reaction to them and what they can do and how they can be an ally to, to people in that community and, and what they can do to, to change the obvious inequalities in society. 
I think that's fantastically well put. And, you know, it is about inequality and it's about supporting and understanding. Um, it, which leads me into one of the first questions of the day. Gary Trailsdale asks a serious question. Um, should our club police Twitter and ban those Chelsea fans who have overtly bitter racist opinions? It's a longer email, but that's that's the crux of it. Should we be policing Twitter? Should Twitter be policing itself better. Well, that that's the key. I think Twitter should should be policing itself better. I think I think there should be much swifter uh, penalties, if you like, for people that are horribly racist or discriminatory or bigoted or prejudiced on 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 that social media platform. It's not free speech. With free speech become comes responsibility, and if you don't have that responsibility, you shouldn't be allowed a platform to express that 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 vile those vile opinions um what the club should do i don't think they should police twitter i don't think that's their job to police social media i think they can use twitter as a tool to um to have a look at those people that are consistently pushing out those messages because that's a pretty good indication of what their behavior is going to be in the ground so if they hear a report of bad behaviour, or there's a red flag against somebody expressing horrible opinions on Twitter, that's a red flag. And I think that you could then use that to monitor the situation. And if that person takes those opinions into a football ground, or takes them into Stamford Bridge or an away ground, and expresses those opinions, um, and, and you know, is a horrible, vile racist in a football ground, then that's evidence and, and that's a red flag that can be used to remove that person. Because I'm all for removing those type of people. I'm all for getting rid of them. The club doesn't want them. Other fans don't want them. They're a stain. They're a stain on our football club and, and we need to get rid of them. So I don't think that you should be banned for expressing an opinion on Twitter. But I think that your social media activity can be used by the club to identify you as a person of interest. Yeah, I, I would go along with everything there, 100%. Um, okay, moving back to sort of sporting occasions. You remember I told you about that tennis tournament that Djokovic organised last oh, week? Oh, yeah. How many people have tested positive? <clears throat> well, uh, Gregor Dimitrov, the Bulgarian player, Bruno Cioric, really? the Croatian player, has now tested positive, plus Djokovic's fitness coach and Dimitrov's coach. And there's photos What a surprise. Of, uh, it's ridiculous. You know, I mean, uh, I hope they hang their heads in shame. It, it's outraged the tennis world. Mm. Nick Kyrgios has been amazingly brutal about it and quite right so you know this is an arrogance this is like oh all my friends will come in from everywhere i'll meet them at the airport yeah, we'll nice. hug and and then they went out clubbing as well and mingled oh. with people so you know it it shows look we are at the end of this lockdown period just about things are going back to a sort of different kind of normal i'm not saying new normal i don't like it it's, we're a long um, way from going back to football stadiums though aren't we exactly and and moments like this uh, a tennis tournament with fifteen thousand people there shows what can happen god forbid something happens to one of those people in, in the crowd and somebody gets seriously ill how those players will deal with that i have no idea because mm. it is their fault mm. um so yeah i i was i was kind of really shocked at that but it's what we talked about last week that this is 
what could happen in these situations. And it shows it's a fine line and it's a balancing act. We need to work out and get right to save people from these sort of terrible moments. Um, All right. Look, what, what we should do is we actually have played a game of football after, did you find that actually after five days, Oh, it's incredible. No player has ever had that much time off in their lives. 105 days since we last played. Incredible. Before, before we played. Yeah. Unbelievable, isn't it? And, and do you think it's weird when people are saying, oh, yeah, well, you know, how Chelsea's season's going? You think, no, that was another season. This is kind of a mini season, isn't it? Yeah, well, you know, we've, we've said it yeah. over and over, and it's a different season. It's a different season, and yes, it's a continuation, but with that amount of gap, you have to say it's different. It is, there's it's two halves to this season, very much so. Um, I'm very, very pleased that football's back. I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I might. Um, I was completely invested in the Chelsea game. I will be invested in all Chelsea games going forward. There's a level of jeopardy and, and, and interest and excitement that I thought wouldn't be there. Um, I am listening with the crowd noise. I mean, I, I kind of need that. And um, it, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's great to have it back. But um, to, to pretend that this is the same as, uh, as the season that finished in March is just ludicrous. Yeah, I agree. Well, to show how abnormal it is, um, Nizar Kinsella, he uh, has got this report from the Villa game. So let's have a listen, shall we? Hi there, guys. It's Nizar Kinsella, Goals Chelsea correspondent, reporting for the Chelsea. Um, I wanted to be here uh, talking about my return to the stadium at Villa Park. I'd never been there and, you know, wanted to get in and expected to, hoped to. Uh, but, yeah, they only let in 20 journalists, so uh, they didn't pick me for that one. Maybe it was their sort of Chelsea-focused reporting that uh, Villa didn't really want, uh, you know, when they, they kind of picked their reporters. But, yeah, a few of us got rejections, really, on the on our reporting of the game so I didn't get that one but luckily I'm in for Chelsea against Man City on Thursday so I'll finally you know break the duck and and get into a project restart football match in the Premier League which I'm really looking forward to so yeah it's uh, it's one of those things which is part of Barcelona's job really uh, rejection uh, something you have to get used to if you want to be a journalist uh, and certainly uh, I've had my fair share of that um, so yeah it's um something that uh, you know I dealt with but we, we kind of reported on it from home and we still got a Zoom press conference with Frank Lampard um, you know they, even the journalists who were there didn't get to report you know directly to Frank Lampard as he usually would so uh, yeah I logged in uh, did my Zoom press conference and uh, we asked him questions um, about a great win um, and it was that uh, and yeah we saw uh, you know everything kind of operate differently you know, the way they sort of disinfect the balls, the atmosphere in the stadium, obviously not there. Um, you know, even the protocols of getting to the stadium, coming onto the pitch and all that. So there was many changes, you know. You know, when you watch Match Today as well, the sort of fixed camera that you see there, there's, there's a bigger distance between the cameraman and the footballer. So all these things are designed to reduce the risk of spreading COVID-19 and especially to the players if you want the game to continue and and for us to have these moments so yeah it was a success for Chelsea on the pitch they managed to deal with all these changes and and still pick up the three points which you know there's a lot to play for even though all the games look very different now so yeah I'll be interesting to give you a further update really in the future about me actually attending the game uh, and uh, 
and yeah, getting 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 you guys to know what it feels like. But you know, we'll we'll be tested on our uh, on coronavirus before we enter. We'll be tested on our temperatures. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting. I need to stay healthy before Thursday and and try and get into my first game. Uh, yeah, hope you all guys are keeping well and uh, all the best. Stay safe. And there we go, Nizar Kinsella. Goal.com's Chelsea correspondent reporting, not from Villa Park, but from home. Incredible there, Andy, that he, sadly, on Friday afternoon, Villa decided to limit the amount of journalists that were allowed in the ground. Um, I guess it's it's okay that he didn't travel but it uh, it must be a bit weird you know having to stay at home and do the press conference with with frank on zoom from home um he was getting really excited about that Mm. but um, bless him he was wasn't he so uh, it's a real shame that must have been been crushing for the poor lad yeah exactly but as he says he is guaranteed an in at chelsea man city on thursday which we'll come to later but yeah you know we we should uh, move on to the to this game um were you apprehensive beforehand having seen Villa play and that they got one game under their belt or did you like the fact that the whole thing about away clubs now are not finding it so hard to win at other grounds that the stats are showing that more away teams if they're better teams invariably win at the moment well look Aston Villa is second from bottom you know if we can't beat teams like Aston Villa then we have a problem so I went into that game very confident and confident that we had a full complement of players uh we'll come on and we'll talk about the team selection in a minute but the um but you know I knew that we had fit players and I knew that we had enough in the tank to to beat them um so now I was very confident and uh you know I didn't expect anything other than a win but as so often happens with Chelsea we made quite hard work of it. I mean, if you want to, maybe you should uh, go for the for the team selection first, and we'll go through that because it did raise a few eyebrows. Yeah, I mean, Giroud up front instead of Abraham, uh, Christensen and Rudiger in the middle. That's not so much of a shock, but I probably wouldn't have predicted Christensen. Cante, uh, Mount, and Kovacic in midfield. Well, that that's fair enough. Um, and then William Giroud and Loftus Cheek as a front three, which was odd, I thought. Um, so I think a few raised eyebrows around the team selection. Um, but you know, the first half we were absolutely all over them. I mean, at points in that in that first half, we had ninety percent of the possession. I think we ended up with um, something like seventy five percent of the possession overall. Uh, but we were very, very dominant. But the same old issues with Chelsea uh, raised their head, which is a team put a low block in place against us, put loads and loads of men behind the ball, and we struggled to break that down. Our delivery from wide areas uh, lacked quality. Our quality in and around the 18-yard box just wasn't there. And it wasn't until Asby, you know, on about his 20th attempt, put in a decent cross that we managed to break the deadlock uh, after Pulisic had come on as a sub. But conceding a goal was just so typical um, having a you know having having conceded the goal in the forty third minute just before half time from another diagonal cross was was just a eye rolling moment really but I, I always felt that we could come back from it yeah well, but having said that uh, I was a, a bit in fear when we went one down because our stats this year once we've gone behind are not very good I think it's nine games we've played where we've gone behind and only once have we come back 
to to win the match. So but yeah, it looks stats and stats. You know, I love a stat, but <laughs> I, I think you have to. I think you have to look at the quality of our team and the quality of their team. They just had a lot of bodies behind the ball, and once we'd figured out a way to do it, we'd come close on a couple of occasions. Mason Mount had had a decent shot that was saved. Uh, there'd been a brilliant ball across the box, which Ruben Loftus Cheek just probably didn't anticipate quickly enough that he should have maybe poked home. So there were chances, and it did feel like it was coming, and I, I was fairly relaxed, although annoyed that we conceded another goal in that fashion. Yeah, um, we'll, we'll, after the break, once we've had a, a general roundup of the game, we'll get on to the defence because we've got quite a lot of questions about the defence. So maybe we'll examine that after the break. Um, for me, Kante. This is the Kante you keep forever. If he plays in that role for Chelsea, you just see the difference in him as a player, don't you? He's, well, he was man of the match. Yeah. He, he was, there's no two ways. For me, in that man of the match, I think Mason Mount had a decent shout, but I thought he faded a little bit faster than, than Kante did. Um, I thought Kante was brilliant. And as you say, you know, I was, you know, I raised that question last week about, you know, he's 30. Should we consider selling him? Um, we'd get big money for him at the moment. Does he, will he play a part in this team moving forward? Will he be played in the right position? Does Frank Lampard see him as part of his plan? Um, if if you're absolutely right, if he plays in that role, that kind of midfield enforcer, for want of a better word, a slightly deeper role where he can dictate the tempo, clear up uh, messes, shut down space. When he when he does what Kante does, he's untouchable. He's the best in the world, and he looked fit, which was great. I thought thought he was brilliant. I, I actually think most of our side looked pretty fit. There was a couple that looked off the pace, um, but we'll get to them in a minute. But Kante. His decision-making, when he decides to foul, um, he worked Grealish over throughout the game. Grealish had actually, to be fair, been taken care of down down the flanks. But when he kept in, came inside, which he started to try and do more and more in the second half, Kante was just giving him stick the whole time, either winning the ball or fouling him. And well, we've, all, we've always said about Kante, he doesn't mark players, he marks space. Yeah, and he, does. he was just fantastic at covering that space in between the midfield and the defence, uh, which Jack Grealish found himself in on a lot of occasions, and then came up against probably the most awkward player to attack against. I would say in world football, you know, when he's on his game, Kante just has a, a knack of, of of getting in the way, making it awkward, and as you say, giving away in inverted commas good fouls. Yeah, and that when he finally got booked, Grealish, you could see he was holding up all the fingers he could. He was trying to say, he's really hurt me a lot this game. He's just yeah, constant. Brilliant. Oh, it was just brilliant. And, you know, once you've wound a player up like that, you've got to him. And, and he just didn't do anything, really, for the rest of the game. So, yeah, a, a fabulous performance from him. It, the midfield is such a strange place, isn't it, for Frank at the moment? I don't think we'd have picked that three. Um, and we didn't when we picked a team a couple of weeks ago. Um, I thought Mason Mount showed what a classy player he is. Not quite a hundred percent fit. I'd agree with you there that he did fade away. But boy, he looks good. Kovacic was surprisingly, I don't know, sterile in a way. It I didn't... don't know if he knew quite what his role was in that team. Um, I think that he's. I'm not sure if he really understood the brief or whether he was given a brief on what to do, because he seemed caught in two minds on a lot of occasion, whether he should bomb forward and 
you know, drive the team forward or whether he should sit and support or whether he should play the simple ball. I just thought there was a little element of confusion, whereas I think earlier in the season when he picked the ball up and drove at defences and, and, and created momentum, um, that that's when he was at his strongest. But of course, when you've got Mount in the team doing that as well, you've got to, you've got to balance that out. So uh, there's a little bit of work to do on what you want Kovacic to do or what you want him to be, I think. And also, I don't think, maybe somebody will correct me, but uh, I don't think he's really played with Kante when Kante's played in that role. So Mm. he'll be understanding how much less he probably needs to do than, say, when he's with Jorginho and he has to run back and cover him. Kante can take care of an awful lot of stuff. So, yeah, I think think it's learning that role. be intrigued to see if it's that same midfield against Man City, but we'll get on to that later. Well, but the other thing, of course, is Jorginho was suspended for that game. Yeah. So he wasn't an option. So he kind of had to play Kante. So it'd be interesting to see if he sticks with Kante after that performance or whether he brings Jorginho in and whether he thinks Jorginho as that sort of register, for want of a better expression, player where he sits and dictates is, is more what he wants than someone running around and kicking people, which is a very, very insulting thing to say about Kante but you know if he wants someone with that sort of dynamic defensive mindset you know that that, that Kante has or whether he wants someone who's going to dictate tempo like Jorginho we're really going to see this over the next couple of games I think where Frank's head is at and and if his head is at the latter then I think that doesn't bode well for Kante long term. Yeah I I would agree Um, but I get the feeling that we might see an awful lot more uh, rotation over this last eight games. Yeah, more... we're going to have to, I think, because yeah. there's so many games. Yeah, I think so. Uh, nine, so. Nine games or eight games left, isn't there, over a six-week period? Yeah, so d- doesn't that actually mean that we won't really know what Frank thinks is his best side because he's managing the occasion, as it were? Yeah. Well, so, that's probably true. But, yeah, I think we'll get some, some indication of it. You know, I think it would be very difficult to look at that performance by Kante and say, well, I'm going to try something else. When that works so well, it was one of the real positives to take out of the game. But he may be thinking, well, Kante's had, you know, a number of long-term injuries. I'm just going to protect him a little bit. I don't know. It's, very, it's going to be very interesting to see how Frank manages this quandary. Yeah, it will. Well, look, we should go to our break because we're very, very late for it. But we're going to come back because a lot of the questions that we've got are all about uh, the game against Villa. So we'll be back after this. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct... Something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen. Check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. And we are back. Okay, right. Let's let's go through some of these questions, Andy, because they pretty much all relate to, to the game. Um, old friend Jonathan Kidd asks... 
several questions here. Why was Rhys James so off the pace? Why can't William take corners? And can we have, afford to have players not performing at this level? People appear to be forgiving Loftus-Cheek as it was his first game back for a year, but he was struggling. No place for Gilmore if Kante is central. Wow, there's a, there's a whole load. Now, <laughs> okay. so, so I have some thoughts. Yep, um, I, know, well, I know you do. Go on. Do you want to... No, no, no. no. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting back. Let me hear him. Okay, so Ruben Loftus-Cheek, I think we can give him a little bit of slack because he is coming back from a you know horrific long-term injury um, and needs games. And the, the problem I've always had with Ruben Loftus-Cheek is where does he play? What's his strongest position? I don't think it's on the left of a... Of a front three, um, you know, I just I don't think that's where he at. I think he's an attacking central midfield player. Um, I think he's got goals. I think he's got physicality. I think he's got presence, and I, and I think he's a, a huge asset to the team. But we still haven't really figured out what he is and where he plays yet, and that's going to be a real issue for Frank moving forward. I think about what, where do you fit a player like Ruben Loftus Cheek into the team? So I, I don't think he performed particularly well, um, but I but I give him a lot of slack for it because he clearly he clearly needs games um it will can william take corners no one word answer <laughs> nothing nothing to build on that he's he's not he, he's he's not been an asset taking corners he takes decent free kicks uh direct free kicks um but he's i don't think he's a great corner taker but that's been a problem with chelsea for years now in terms of having somebody that can, can take corners by all accounts mason mount is a really good corner taker so I don't understand why he's not taking them uh, so we'll see how that develops if and when uh, William rides off into the sunset uh, can we afford to have players who don't perform at this level no of course not we need players to perform at this level this is elite football at the elite level so yes we can give players a little bit of slack but you've got if you, if you want to play in the first team at Chelsea Football Club you have to perform at the elite level we, there's no room for passengers so you have to you know if you're if you're in the starting 11 or if you come on as a substitute you have to perform and I think some of the reference there is to Reese James who came on as a substitute uh, with uh, in the 90th minute um, to close out the game uh, but he was pretty shocking when he came on he just was all over the place he wasn't into the pace of the game now we all know Rhys James hopefully is going to be our, our right back for years and years and years to come we're huge supporters on this show of, of Rhys James we think he's an amazing player but you have to be realistic and say he wasn't good when he came on and this is my point about you have to be ready you can't come on particularly at a time when you've only got a one goal cushion um, to you know to, to, to if you're bought on to help you know, see the game out. You've got to see the game out. You can't be giving the ball away in, in, in dangerous areas. You can't be making poor decisions. You have to be ready. And yes, I know this is an awkward time with a, you know, no football for, for a long time and players aren't maybe fully fit. But that's the same for all 22 players on that pitch. You have to be at that level. So hopefully Frank had a word with some of those players and said, look, if you, if you start or you come on, you can't you can't work your way into the game, particularly if you come on in the 90th minute. You've got to be ready. You've got to do it. So I made some comments about Rhys James. Doesn't mean I hate him. Doesn't mean I'm down on him. Just as a fact, he wasn't good when he came on. No, I, I would agree with all of that. Um, I think Rhys James just, I don't think he was expecting to come on. And well, he needs to expect to come yeah, on. Yeah, I agree. That's I why agree. you warm up. You, you know, that's why you're on the sub bench. If you come on in the 95th minute, you've got to be ready. <laughs> 
Oh, I've missed that voice. True, though, isn't it? You can't say, you can't say, I don't think he was expecting to come on. That doesn't, I mean, I'm not having to go at you because that's a perfectly reasonable thing to say, but you have to be ready to come on. Yeah, and and he usually, but we'd heard all sorts of stories about him supposedly being injured, whatever. He was in the wrong space, and I'm sure Frank will. If he's injured, why is he on the bench? Exactly. Well, you know, let's let's see what happens the next game, but I I agree with all your points. Great, 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 great player, and I think that. And he's young, he's 20, you know, he, he's got a lot to learn. Um, but that was not a good cameo. No, it wasn't. If ever there was a cameo that was one you shouldn't have made, it was that one. Um, and, uh, yeah, I agree with Loftus-Cheek. I think he just needs time. And, look, at the end of the day, we did win the game. He got 55 minutes of Premier League football under his belt. Yep. So, yeah, that, that will stand him in good stead. And, and he, he was replaced by Ross Barkley, who, again, looked pretty good. Yeah, you know, he, he, did. he looked like he was, he was uh, mature and making good decisions and... You know, taking the ball forward and, and doing what we hope that Ross Barkley can do. So I don't know. Last last few games I've seen Ross Barkley. My opinion of him's gone up a bit. Yeah, I agree. Um, yes, and you, we've answered uh, whatever main asks. What's Ruben's best position? Well, I think you've you've hit the nail on the head. For me, he should be coming from midfield and driving through because he's great with the ball at his feet. He takes players on when he's stuck out wide. You can see it's not in his remit. It's not his natural game to drift in, to get to the back post. You saw the difference between, say, Pulisic, who understands about getting to that back stick when you're out on the wide. Uh, everything that Ruben did, it doesn't feel natural to him to be out there. So, yeah, I would agree with that. Um, One so, thing that I noticed in the game that I wanted to bring up, which was how many times did we play the ball square across into a very crowded penalty area so as Piliqueta I think I don't know how many crosses he had but he had an awful lot but they were all pretty square crosses from the from the from the wing into the box where there was five or six seven or eight Aston Villa players and it was a fairly pointless exercise what really worked was the cutback and the goal that Giroud scored where the ball was cut back to him and he was able to swivel and score I don't know why we don't do that more Man City do it Liverpool do it really really well where they basically fool all of the defensive players to, to, to follow the ball back and then cut it back to the penalty spot or the edge of the area where somebody finishes. And the one time we did it, it worked. And I was saying that throughout the game. Cut the ball back, get to the byline and cut it back. But that does require players to get to the byline. And that's why players like Pulisic, hopefully Zayek when he comes in, Hudson-Odoi, that's what they're really good at. They're good at getting down to that byline and cutting the ball back rather than just pinging the ball square into a crowded penalty area. Yeah, I mean, it's getting the right mix and the right balance so that almost it's the surprise, isn't it, that actually when you do it, that's what happens. You score. And you need a player that can get to the byline. You need a player with the intelligence to arrive late in the box. That's why Frank Lampard was such an amazing player, was he had the intelligence to know when to make the move into the box. He scored so many of his goals from cutbacks. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the the last question that was asked there was uh, no place for Gilmore if Kante is central. No, Gilmore's no. young, you know. Yeah. Th- th- I think it, also, I think he's a lot more flexible than that question that gives him credit for. I think he's 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 you know a lot more fluid in his positional play than 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 perhaps that that suggests. And I think there's a place for Gilmore in that midfield with Kante if necessary. Uh, yeah, I, I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, OK, uh, Nina Davis asks, what's happening with William, please? Well, he had his usual kind of William game. You know, there's parts of me thinking, God, I am really going to be sad if William leaves the club. I, I, it's obvious that he's now got blue blood. Um, but 
it does not look as though it's going to work out for him, does it? It does look as though he he got offered a two-year deal, which is incredible anyway for Chelsea to offer a player of his age, something like that. Um, it'll be a shame to see him go, but possibly you think maybe it is the time. If, if he's not going to stay and help players through, you, know, you can't see him being a front pick for the next three seasons, could you? No, no, and I think it's very clear that he's going to go. I mean, I love his professionalism. He played, you know, he played a very professional game. The first half of the first half, the first 20 minutes or so, he was brilliant. I thought he was great. He had energy. He had um, uh, vigour, and he patrolled that right wing brilliantly and and caused the the, the Aston Villa defence problems. Um, I think he faded a little bit during the game, but so did a lot of players. Uh, But, you know, William put in a, you know, a good... Seven out of ten performance, you know, and he's always in that seven, eight out of ten range, um, with the occasional nine, and that that's uh, you know for me a, a really good player, and I I will be sad to see him go. I think he's been a fantastic servant for our football club, uh, but I think he is coming to the end of his uh, period with us. Uh, I wish him all the very best of luck, but it's it's probably time for him to go. But you know, I'm always pleased to see him on the team sheet because I know he's going to give a hundred percent. Yeah, uh, I'm with you on that. If he stays, it'd be great because I think he will teach players around him. But he's not part of the future of this football club. No, he's not. He's, not. he's, he's clearly not part of Frank's plan. So for his sake, I think it's probably best that he leaves. Yeah, and I think the same will be for Pedro as well, you know, who supposedly has agreed a deal with, with Roma. Um, in fact, I was quite surprised to see him on the bench. Yeah, because didn't I, he say he wasn't going to see out, he wasn't going to extend his contract? Yeah, but it's it runs till the 30th of June. Oh, right. Okay. So, yeah, in, in, in about uh, eight days' time or something. I mean, I've seen a lot of criticism of some of those players. You know, I think all footballers' contracts, or the vast majority of footballers' contracts expire at the end of June. And I've seen some criticism of some of the players that have said they won't extend their contracts. But I don't see why they should if they're going to go to another club and they don't want to risk an injury, um, you know, that might jeopardise a, a move. I, I, if, I, I have some sympathy with a player that says, my contract ends on June the 30th. I don't have to extend it, and I'm not going to. It's a bit like, you know, if you had a contract with your work and, and you had another job to go to and the work says, can you extend it? It's your choice. It's not something you have to do. And if they feel they want to protect themselves and make sure that move goes through and prepare themselves for a new challenge, I'm supportive of that. So I saw Pedro getting some grief on social media from people going it was out of order. It's not out of order. His contract runs out on June 30th. End of. Yeah. A job is a job. That's it. All right. Moving on, because we're running out of time here. Um, Okay. This is the crux of the Villa game. So I'm going to read all these questions out. Jaleel Agbula asks, please, how far has the club gone in beefing up the defence, knowing fully well that we've got problems there? Jonathan Sharp asks, what's our best centre-back pairing? Do we need a new centre-back? Um, and uh, J- John asks, do we need to buy a top-class centre-back? And if so, who? And what about Ampadu? Um, so if you could select, Jules Bro asks, if you could select any goalkeeper, defender, midfielder from world football to improve the current team, who would you pick and why? Well, we'll look at just the defence area of that. Uh, and Steve Martin asks, would you consider Lewis? Dunk. Okay, centre backs. They were not very good against Villa, were they? I thought they were a little bit wobbly. Here's the problem. I discussed this with my son, and and you know he's got a good view on it, which is that Christensen is really good 
when he's taking the ball out of defence. In other words, he's good with the ball at his feet and, and, and helps to create the momentum for moves uh, and transition the ball out of defence. He's not great in a one-on-one defensive situation. Rudiger is really good in a one-on-one defensive situation, not very good at taking the ball out of defence. So they both have issues, I think. Um, I don't think that's the best centre-back pairing. Um, Zuma uh, is also not good at the transition, not good at taking the ball out of defence, but he's very solid defensively and gives us a presence and a, certainly high advantage and an aerial presence at the back. I like Zuma and Rudiger. I think Tamore, I'd like to try a little bit more with Rudiger. I think Rudiger, I'm, I'm fine with generally. I like I like Rudiger. It's who it's who pairs with him. I think we've got options in there. Um, I don't know. I don't know who I'd buy. I don't know who's out there that's available that I think is good. I probably wouldn't consider Lewis Dunk. I don't think he's at the elite level that a football club like ours needs. I mean, it's no disrespect to him, but I think he's. I think he's. Good, but I don't think he's great, and I don't think he's a would solve the problem. Uh, Ampadu, I don't see as a central defender. I see him as a midfielder. Um, you know, I, I know that people talk about him as a central defender. I think he has height issues, and I don't think he's physical enough for that position. I think his strengths will lie in a in a more um, CDM role. Uh, and in terms of goalkeepers, I'd buy Donnarumma from from AC Milan. I think he's brilliant. He's young. He's huge. He's excellent. He's he's battle hardened. I think he would be brilliant. And I think, as far as I know, his contract's coming to the end, so I'd, I'd put money on him. Okay, so you're not one of these who thinks Kepa's getting better. I think Kepa's getting better. Um, I, I just think Kepa think... has enormous flaws in his game, mm-hmm. um, positionally and and size wise. I, I think his size is an issue. Well, that's something that Frank's talked about, which obviously he's learned from Mourinho. Frank has talked earlier in the season that well, there's not enough height in the defence. And, mm. you know, well, that's, that's why we keep getting done by these the, the ridiculous diagonal balls into the box. I mean, if you yeah. look at Christensen's positioning and Aspilicueta's, again, Aspilicueta is a liability when he's on the back post. You know, it's no real disrespect to him because he's a fabulous footballer but height wise he's not the tallest and when he's being asked to do that job of protecting the back post it's a it's something that other teams can target if i was an opposition manager i would target yeah i i well and they do (laughs) they do of course they do why wouldn't you it's obvious and as for center backs i think we have four center backs that could make two really good ones yeah but, but I, I, I i'm not when, when you look around world football and say who would you buy Kulibai, is that how you pronounce it his name Kulibali, yeah, yeah. But, i mean but, he's he's up there i don't know an awful lot about him. i've seen him play but people rate him very highly um i mean the player we should have bought was van dyke should have bought him no two ways about it and and we didn't you know liverpool did and and, and he's been amazing for them but you can't do a shoulda woulda coulda um i think that you know we we have to work with the center backs that we've got and we need to coach them better and we need to give them more um you know more more, more tactical awareness and and i think you know it's unfortunately i think that would come from having a really really strong presence in goal and I don't think Kepper okay. is that is that keeper, unfortunately. I think when you argue it like that, maybe I'd agree. I've, I've stuck up for Kepper, but no, maybe you're right. You know, oh. a, a, a goalkeeper that's going to come for crosses and take every player with him. You know, a player that's go- a, a goalkeeper that's going to you know to dictate and organise the defence. I mean, Kepper does none of that. He's a decent shot stopper. He's quite good with the ball at his feet, but he's he, you know his height restricts him coming for crosses being dominant in the penalty area all those things i think i think it's a concern he's classy but sometimes you just need a big physical presence back there 
Okay. All right. Well, moving on. That's us dealt with the defence. Right. The last point of the the podcast is it's time for first, worst and best. And this week it comes from Dan Silver down with the Seagulls in Brighton. Hi, my name's Dan Silver, a Chelsea fan for 38 years. I'm a third generation Chelsea fan and I've been in my family for approaching 100 years. Still one of my favourite photos I've got at home is my granddad, my dad and myself in a buggy at about three years old outside Stamford Bridge in front of the ivy-clad house. And it's absolutely a terrific memory. I went to quite a few games when I was young. Uh, I don't have huge memories of them. The one game that sticks out really early days was the Liverpool game in the FA Cup. We won 2-0. We parked outside the Unigate Dairy. Um, the smell of sour milk is still so evocative. Went to Martin's and newsagent to buy my sweets and went to the game. It's probably the biggest crowd I've ever seen at Stamford Bridge. There's probably well over 40,000 people there. The atmosphere is absolutely fantastic. And this was an all-conquering Liverpool side. So for us to win 2-0 was quite an achievement. I remember Peter Rose Brown and Colin Lee scored. And it was just absolutely fantastic. All the people, the noises, the smells. It was brilliant. Unfortunately, um, next round we lost to Spurs 3-2, which was uh, a big disappointment. Um, my worst moment really is um, quite a personal moment. It was a pre-season match against Celtic. It was just a couple of months after my dad had died. It was the first time I'd come back to Stamford Bridge um, since that moment. I came with my mum and it was just a really horrible, toxic, nasty atmosphere. My mum was really scared and she ended up going home early and was escorted by a policeman back to the car. Um, it was a really horrible memory because it was so similar to my dad and I just really didn't enjoy it. But when I came back for the first game of the season and all my mates around me were really you know, consoling me about my dad and that made me realise, yeah, Chelsea is a very special space. My best game is um, the Full Members' Cup final. Yes, we've been to some phenomenal um, finals and significant matches, but this one was my first time at Wembley with my dad. I had no idea I was going until the Sunday of the match when he said, Dan, come here a second. And he pulled out two tickets for Wembley. And I was absolutely so excited. Wembley for the first time. It was a brilliant day out. 5-1, absolutely fantastic. And then I think Man City pulled it back to 5-2. And I remember a chant of, what's it like to score a goal ringing around the Chelsea supporters? Really was a fantastic day. We won my first time at Wembley, 5-4. And it's absolutely brilliant memory. I'd be blessed with some fantastic times at Chelsea, but those three you know, very, very personal moments for me. And thank you and goodbye. There you go. Uh, memories. You know, th- this is what football does. You, you know, it provides such great memories. You know, talking about, God, names that I've forgotten about. Peter Rhodes-Brown and Colin Lee scoring against Liverpool in the FA Cup. Um, the friendly against Celtic, you know, after his dad had died. The, there, are, there are personal associations with so many football games. I mean, the full Members' Cup final. I mean, that was, that was the height of our expectations at one point, wasn't it? Yeah, we talked slightly about that last week, didn't we? About mm. about why the Hullet Hoddle revolution was so important because our expectations before that were so low, um, and we got very used over decades of you know fingers crossed for a decent cup run and a mid table finish. Yeah, it's true. All right, well, look, we're just about out of time, so it's that time where we should just have a quick look ahead and and come up with some predictions for well, we've got. What what a few days, you know, you wait months and suddenly three games come along at once in a week. We've got Man City at home, whatever that means, on Thursday, and then Leicester away in the FA Cup on Sunday. How do you see that panning out, and what are your predictions? Because we got, somebody said, where were our predictions last week? So. I know, well, that's your fault. Yeah, I know, I know. It just felt wrong. 
now it feels right. <laughs> uh, what's it going to be like? Well, Man City have scored eight goals in their two games. They're looking pretty good, I have to say. They've got a very strong squad, which they're rotating. Um, I think it's going to be a really difficult game. We haven't played particularly well against Man City in recent seasons. Uh, I think it's going to be a real test. Um, but uh, I think we're going to be a lot more attacking than some of the play, some of the teams that they've faced. I think we'll put their defence under a lot more pressure than other teams have recently. So as long as we can um, be solid at the back, I think we'll create opportunities and who knows, but it's going to be very difficult. I'm going to say draw on that one, one, one. Uh, Leicester, I, I, I think FA Cup. Look, we can win that. I, I think we can definitely beat Leicester. So, I think it's going to be a ding dong battle. I think it'll be a proper cup tie. I think it'll be two teams going hell for leather against each other, uh, and I think we'll edge it one nil. Okay, um, okay, Man City. I, I can, I can see us scoring, but I can't see us not conceding. So, I'm going to go two two. Um, somebody did ask me, should we let Man City win so that Liverpool can't win? What nonsense? No, don't be silly. Nonsense. We've got don't to go let other win teams it. win. We're about no. Chelsea. We don't worry about other teams. Yeah, exactly. That's done and dusted. Um, so, yeah, I'm going two all. But I, but I understand the sentiment. <laughs> I do understand yeah. the sentiment. Yeah, you know, exactly. Liverpool to so win, there you go, Rich. We can't, we can't be the, the, you know, the team that lets other people, other teams win. We can't do that. I can't, yeah. I can't countenance <laughs> that, I'm afraid. <laughs> no, absolutely. And Leicester, um, yeah, I think I think this will be a close run game. Um, I think we're very similar in certain ways. I just think we might just have too much for them. Again, it's about how our defence holds up. Um, scored a banger, didn't he? Sorry, yes, yeah, absolutely. Cool. Yeah, that's added a few quid onto his price if we're seriously interested in him. Um, I'm going to go for three-one uh, Chelsea. Oh, okay. There Lots you go. Goals. Yeah. Right, well, that's it, Andy. That's it. That's our first podcast since Chelsea came back. Um, it's been great chatting to you, talking about things that have actually happened. Um, let's hope that we have loads more exciting to chat about next week. So over to you for your, your usual roundup of how people can contact us. Yeah, if you'd like to uh, interact with us on social media, you can follow us um, on at Chelsea podcast on Twitter. Uh, on Instagram, it's at the Chelsea Podcast. If you want to follow me, it's at Mr. A. Saunders. If you want to follow Kerry, it's Kerry Levy on Twitter, which is C E R I L E V Y. And that is at Kerry Levy1 on Instagram. I think that's everything, isn't it? That is. Brilliant. All right, Andy. Well, look, I'll let you go because we started early because you've got a really busy day. So. Go to it, have a great week, and we'll speak next week. All right, mate. Cheers, mate. Bye. Cheers. Wasn't that a great podcast? Now, if you've got 90 seconds spare in your day, come and listen to ours. It's called What Has He Said Now? and is available wherever you got this podcast. You're going to lose a number of people to the flu. This is a Playback Media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at chelseapodcast.net. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 